Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 203 with Simon Bailey. Simon has a wellspring of positivity as well as practical wisdom when it comes to developing sponsors and just rocking and rolling, taking the steering wheel of your career. So you'll learn one, key habits that get influential colleagues talking you up. Two, why to take projects that nobody else wants. And three, five questions to help you bounce back from any setback. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP203. That's EP203. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you'll investigate some of our cool other resources. One I'd point to here is the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. Within that, you'll get 10 emails, one a day, that each contains an actionable bite-sized excerpt from my enhanced thinking and collaboration training programs, which have been shown in before after evaluations to slash just about 86 minutes of waste out of each person's work week every week. So that can really add up and make work fun and also get you home from work earlier if need be. Now here's Simon's story. Simon T. Bailey is the CEO of Simon T. Bailey International, a premium education company specializing in creating learning and development content. He's worked with over 1,500 organizations and impacted more than 2 million people through his presentations and seminars in 45 countries worldwide. Some of his clients include AT&T, IBM, MasterCard, Microsoft, and Toyota. Prior to founding his company, Simon worked in the hospitality and tourism industry for 20 years and was sales director and new business development director for the world-renowned Disney Institute based at the Walt Disney Resort. Now, here's Simon. Simon, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Good to be with you. Well, I'm so excited to dig into this conversation. I was really struck in your bio just by how much speaking you've done. It must be a huge number of gigs a year. Well, how many trips is that? We do about 175 days a year, Woo! speak about 100 times a year somewhere <laughs> in the world. So never a dull moment. <laughs> oh, that is wild. So, well, I love it when speakers get together has been my experience. There's often the sharing of travel tales and woes <laughs> and hilarious hijinks. Could you share one of your favorite stories of travel with us? Oh, my goodness. It just happened a couple of weeks ago. So I was in Boston's Logan Airport. And my flight had been uh, delayed because of weather. So there was another flight leaving on another airline in another terminal. And I raced all the way over there. My assistant booked me, got there only to find out the flight was delayed. So uh, they said, in fact, it was so delayed, it probably wouldn't be leaving uh, Boston. So I said, I got to get to Orlando because I had an engagement the next day. So I booked another ticket uh, to a flight on Tampa, could rent a car and drive to Orlando, you know, and get in time <laughs> for my gig. Well, needless to say, I ended up not making either flight and had to call a buddy of mine who lived in Orlando and ask him if he could fill in for me to do the engagement. And he was a trooper. He did it. The client loved him. And it worked out in the end. 
But needless to say, I spent the night in Logan Airport. <laughs> oh, man. So how'd you settle yourself? Did you have a little a nook that you found or what was the strategy? You know what? I did. I just, it was like two o'clock in the morning when it was all said and done. So I just found me a little, little pallet on the floor and just, you know, crashed and called it a day and that was it. <laughs> you know, there was nothing I could do. <laughs> well, it sounds like yeah. you're in good spirits and I love, I love your laugh and just the, I don't know, the mood or attitude that comes through your voice. It really, your headshot is one of my favorite I've ever seen. And Thank so you. be sure to check out the show notes, listeners, so you can see that. I Sometimes I'll just drop it into a Skype chat conversation with my wife. Like, hey, is he coming? Because <laughs> 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 it just makes me smile. So That's funny. You use the phrase brilliant living. Yes. It sounds like that's a key philosophy of yours. And, and a, you got a book with the same title. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Brilliant living is deciding that you're going to take control of the steering wheel of your future and drive into it and instead of the backseat passengers of doubt, fear, uncertainty controlling you, you're going to control and you're going to take charge of your future. That's brilliant living in a nutshell. Mm. Well, that sounds inspiring. I dig it. And one way that you're applying that and some of the things that you're teaching is where I bumped into you was originally through lynda.com. Talk yes. about taking the steering wheel of your career. And one way you do that is by finding a sponsor. Yes. So could you orient us first and foremost, what's sponsorship all about? Sponsorship is finding a person that will wear your brand t-shirt inside of, co- of a company unbeknownst to you. In other words, they are promoting you even when you don't know about it. And then all of a sudden, you'll get the tap on the shoulder. You'll get the invitation to take the next step in your career. And it's because of that sponsor who uses their influence to help advance your career. Well, that sounds awesome. I think we'd all love some more of that. And so then, you know, when we talk about sponsorship, I think a lot of times folks think about, I need to find or develop a relationship with my sponsor or sponsors. But you're saying you don't even know it's happening. You don't even know what's happening. And I should probably give a very clear distinction between a mentor and a sponsor. Okay. A mentor is a person who will tell you what they have done to move their career forward. A sponsor, he or she is not looking to have coffee with you, a chew and chat, be your best bud. (laughs) They just believe in your work. (laughs) (laughs) They just believe in your work and they just want to help you get ahead. And they don't want anything. They don't want anything in return. And that's a very clear distinction that that sponsor, he or she will take it upon themselves to say, I want to help this person because it's the right thing to do. Whereas the mentor wants to kind of say, back in the day when I was in your shoes, here's what I did. And that is very important. It serves a place. But there's a total different distinction between the two. Okay. Well, so that's very helpful. And so then I guess my next question is, well, That sounds very great. We'd love to have more of those people in our corner saying great Mm -hmm. things about us when those influence opportunities are there. So how can we get more of that going on? Yeah, so I think it first of all starts with raising your hand to take on the ugly babies. Take on the (laughs) projects that nobody else wants to do. The projects that everyone has walked away from. That's number one. Number two, whenever you are part of a project team or working on something with a team, be there before time. 
all meetings start 15 minutes in advance. I know that there in, in some cultures, it's the five minute grace period. Everybody kind of comes in late. No, the real meeting starts 15 minutes before. And that's when you get to find out what other people are doing. But also if it's being led by a senior leader or director or somebody in the room, they begin to notice that you're just a step above the rest, that you show up early, you engage, you're friendly. Um, and you may even say, Simon, I'm an introvert. Well, become a socialized introvert. Come out of your shell and connect. The third thing to really think about is what would it be like uh, to go to your boss and ask your boss, what is it that you don't like doing that I can take off your plate, that I can help you be more successful? That in and of itself becomes the thing that gets you noticed and becomes your point of differentiation. And your boss, he or she may mention your name to another peer leader that says, hey, if you have an opening or if you're thinking about this, have I got somebody on my team that would be a perfect fit? Oh boy, these are so good, so actionable. I'd love to dig into each of these a little bit. So we say raise your hands to take on the ugly babies. It's interesting, I'm thinking, well, the ugly babies are ugly because they're not pleasant. <laughs> you know, they're not pleasant to deal with. And, and so I think at times, like they may even carry particular, you know, risks associated with, oh, you know, if you step into that, you have a sort of more downside than upside associated with your responsibility versus authority versus probabilities of success. So that's one reason why folks don't care to touch it. But you're saying, no, long-term, it's a winning strategy to go there and to take that risk. I'll give you an example. So when I worked at Disney, my first promotion was to take over a department, for lack of a better term, they were the bad news bears, which is an <laughs> old movie. <laughs> Nobody wanted the team. And they had been through probably about a half a dozen sales directors in less than 10 years. So when I was tapped on the shoulder to take the opportunity, I said, absolutely, I'll take it. It was my first leadership role. And can I tell you, and this was the team, they actually kicked butt, took names and made it happen because they just needed somebody to believe in them, not somebody looking at what taken over their department as a stepping stone to the next promotion. So what I recognized is I just hugged them with my words. I made them feel valued. And they, and they challenged me to become better. And together as a team, we were able to over-deliver because they just needed uh, to know that they mattered. They needed to know that, that they could do it. And they needed some feedback on how to get better. They needed some coaching. And so it was a huge learning experience for me. And that got me on the radar screen to be sponsored by other executives for other opportunities inside Disney. Okay, well, so that's a great story. And I guess I'm wondering, well, that's one form of an ugly baby is that uh, there are folks who are disengaged because no one seems to care about them mm -hmm. and their team and their results. And so, you know, just giving them some Simon love uh, was enough mm -hmm. to kind of get things moving in a, in a better direction. So could you give us some examples of maybe other reasons why there's an ugly baby at play and, and how to survive and thrive in that midst? So for those who are, say, individual contributors, you're not necessarily leading a team, but you're responsible for what you have been tasked with every single day. There will be various projects that will come your way, and certainly they came my way, that 
invited people to share their expertise to move things forward. One of the things quickly I learned at Disney is to get anything done, it was not written in the employee handbook, and they didn't tell me at Disney University. So in other words, I got there, and all of a sudden, I end up on a team on a special project, and I was lost as a goose in a blizzard. I didn't have a clue, but what I recognized, the power of asking questions, number one, showing that you're curious. Number two, releasing the need to be right, but become open to what wants to emerge. Number three, engaging in a diversity of thinking. So as you begin to engage others, they may not agree with how you see things, but as you begin to listen to them, you begin to say, wait a minute, I haven't thought about it that way. You become sharper, they become sharper, all because you didn't show up to be a yes person to go along to get along. You said, but wait a minute, what about this? And it's the opposing opinions that I discovered in being on project teams that made me a better thinker, um, that made me say, you know what, I'm going to take on all the ugly babies I possibly can because it's a learning experience. It's not about being perfect. It's about discovering how do we make something better. Oh, I dig that. And well, now I want to move on to, you talked about being at meetings 15 minutes before. And part of that is you just look good, motivated, ambitious when you're there early. But the other part of it is you're saying, hey, the real meeting is happening beforehand. It's like the small group of committed folks who were invested, engaged, curious, having a chat in a more of an informal setting about stuff. Can you talk more about the dynamics of that zone of time? Here's what I've learned over 30 years working in six different companies, 10 different jobs. When the meeting happens, that's communication. But when you show up before the meeting, it's about connection. And it's in the connection where you develop small talk and you get to know people on a personal level as much as they are open to. And it's in that personal relationship that business is really done. Nowadays, everybody's like transaction. Let's get it done. Let's move quicker, faster, right? Got to be agile. We're hearing all these buzzwords. I'm telling you, relationships are the currency of the future, and relationships are built in the small talk, in the connection, where people in three to seven seconds decide know, like, and trust. Do I know you? Do I like you? Do I trust you? That's how business is done. Then the meeting happens, and then when the meeting is over, it's about the follow-up. So after the meeting... When you follow up with that person to say, when we talked before the meeting, you shared this, this, and this. Guess what? I just found something out that I think can help you. It's using those moments to follow up. So the fortune is in the follow-up that builds the relationship beyond the meeting. So it's understanding how do you connect, not just communicate. Okay. Well, since we're here on the topic, tell us, how do you connect? Some folks will say, oh, I hate small talk and oh, I feel so awkward. So what are your pro tips for navigating that? Three ways to connect is find out what makes the person tick. Um, number two, see where you have commonality. Did you go to the same college? Did you perhaps uh, have children the same age? If you don't have children, what are your hobbies outside of work? What did you do this past weekend? Are you a movie goer? Do you play golf? Uh, what are you into? So what you're trying to do in that commonality piece is really kind of connect with them on now that emotional and that personal level. Then the third thing, to find out what is it that has made them successful at the company? Um, what have they been doing for a while? And tap into that, then ask them, oh, you're on such and such team. Do you know this person? Do you know that person? Because what you're trying to do is build a bridge from, from where they are to where you are to connect. 
And the more and more you do that, all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, I know that person. Or, yes, that person, we worked on this project. Or, did you know about this? So now in the conversation, it becomes a tennis match. Serve, volley, serve, volley. Because it's in building that relationship that allows them to say, wow, I know that person better than if I would have never showed up early to spend that quality time getting to know people. That's great. Can you dig a little bit deeper into the, you know, what made them successful part of that? I mean, I'm thinking you don't want to sound like brown nosing, like, oh, so how are you so incredibly <laughs> accomplished? <laughs> so how do some of those conversations sound and flow? Yeah, so I believe the quality of your questions determine the quality of your thinking. One of the things over the years that I've always done I will ask, ask people that I admire in a company, what's your greatest failure that you've had professionally? And what did you learn from that? So I want to talk about success, but I'll come at it from a different angle and I'll talk about failure. Because if you get people to talking about failure, they will go into a zone where, and granted, they got to feel comfortable with you, obviously. So if you've done all of the upfront work to build a connection, then they'll say, you know what, Here, here's, here's, here's my failing moment. If they're really, this is very important, if they're really emotionally intelligent and comfortable in their skin, there are some people that are pompous who are not going to open up and really share. So so when that question kind of is, is met with the Scooby-Doo look, you just asked me that question, go the opposite way and say, so if you had to start all over again, what are two to three things that you would do differently? It's asking the same question, but it's softening it. So they're kind of like, whoa, rut row, okay? The next thing is, Ask them when they have been, when they've done their best work, what did they learn in that moment when they've produced the best product or been on the best team or had customer feedback? What, what was happening and what did they learn from that experience? And then the third thing, and, and this might seem a little bit uh, out of school, but it's a very important question, is say, so, so for all the years that you've been here, what do you want to be remembered for? What, what do you want people to really say and think about you as a brand inside this business? And that gets people really thinking because they probably haven't had that question. And now they'll see you in a different light as a person who challenges their thinking. Oh, Simon, this is so much good stuff. And so I guess I'm wondering when you go there, it's like, you're right, they need to feel comfortable with you first and you've done some small talk. So I guess I'm just wondering sort of, What's the threshold? And I know there's no algorithm and we're human beings and we have emotions (laughs) and everybody's different. But I guess I'm wondering, so these feel like pretty bold questions. I wouldn't call them intrusive or invasive. It reminds me of my Uncle Topper, by the way. He was episode uh, 100. And so he's just super, you know, friendly and positive and joyful and curious about folks. And they love him. They eat it up. And But I think many people will feel a little bit of, you know, reservation or fear associated with just going here. So could you maybe provide a bit of encouragement, like share the good side or say, put the risks in perspective for us a little Mm -hmm. bit here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that people can do is to kind of share 
just a little bit about your backstory. So my backstory that I share with people, people say, why did you leave Disney? And I'll say, because I did an interview uh, back in 2001, and I told a guy that I wanted to become the number one guy at Disney, and he was a journalist at the time, and he put it in print. So the article comes out, page 12, Florida Business Trend Magazine, and my pa- my boss calls him in the office, and he's like, what the heck were you thinking when you did this interview? And I said, Larry, I work at this company who's motto is if your heart is in your dreams no request is too extreme for when you wish (laughs) upon a star it makes no difference who you are obviously it's funny today not funny then so now you know the person that i'm I'm talking to or if i'm sharing this with an entire room they are laughing they're like oh my goodness i cannot believe you made this huge faux pas this huge you know open mouth insert foot moment career suicide right But I say that now all of a sudden they see me through a lens of, wow, he's just like me. He made a mistake. He picked himself back up and he's trying to figure it out. So now after I kind of tell just a little bit snippet of how I got to this point, I then engage them. So tell me about you. Like when have you had that moment? Because now we're on the same eye level. We now kind of see eye to eye, and I'm not trying to push myself, uh, push myself up and push you down. I now want to meet you where you are. Oh, that's so good. So by you making that disclosure first, it sort of says, hey, this is safe. And it says, you know, it's okay that we go here. And you sort of opened it up first. So that makes a lot of good sense. Totally. Well, now, Simon, it seems like a lot of the good stuff that you're sharing seems to come from, you know, my interpretation of a foundation of just this kind of a positivity, just a real upbeatness, that optimism that seems to just be a part of you and a real area of strength that comes naturally. So, you know, I'd love if you could maybe just take us into your mindset or worldview a little bit, because it seems like that is a source of power in terms of, you know, you're empowering people. Then the bad news bears, they turn around and they be, they become awesome. Or you tackle the ugly babies and others are like, oh, that sounds like a terrible, unfun time. But it's you, you jump in and you dig it, you enjoy it. So how can we get some of what you got there? <laughs> you know, I think there's one word that describes me and that is fearless. And what I mean by that, when I look at my backstory, um, here I am working a job at Disney, great job, having a ball, but I reached a place where there was a hole in my soul. And though I had success outwardly, inwardly, I felt insignificant and felt like there was something missing. So I put my resume out on the street, got four job offers. And this was back when our country was going to war with Iraq for the second time. Corporations were laying off by the hundreds of thousands. And I turned all four jobs down, two vice president's offers, a senior director position to go and work at Learjet, um, which had a division called FlexJet to head up all customer care for Learjet owners in the world, and an internal move at Disney. I was 34 at the time. And I threw caution to the wind. I'm like, I'm going for it. So I cashed in my entire 401k with significant Disney stock. My uh, wife at the time didn't work outside the home. Our son was four and our daughter was 18 months. And there was no plan B, okay? So I turned on all these jobs and I got about a three-year runway to figure this out. And 15 years later, here I am still standing, having a ball 
uh, had having the time of my life. And in fact, I just wrote a uh, a blog that we just put up on LinkedIn. Literally within the last twenty four hours, it's already got two thousand views, and and it's entitled "Disney I Quit: Five Reasons Why I Fired Myself from Disney." And so I'm fearless. I I like have no fear because I was born in the ghetto of Buffalo, New York. Um, my parents dropped me off at Morehouse College at the end of uh, at the end of my freshman year. They called and said, "We don't have the money to send you back for your sophomore year, nor do you have money to bring you back home to Buffalo, but we do love you." And I'm from Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. So fearless started at 19 years of age <laughs> when I couldn't get back home. And so literally my whole life over the last 30 years, I'll be 49 in a few days, has been a just about fearless living. Like do it. Like if it doesn't work. Guess what? Figure it out. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Well, and it sounds like it's a heck of a lot of fun. You know, you say you're having a ball the time of your life. And because the fear, I would guess, would just sort of sucks that away. Yeah. You know what's so crazy? So I eventually did go back to school, got my undergrad, got my master's degree. But over the last 30 years, I've experienced failure. And failure has developed this muscle called fearless. And I've learned. And I've developed this attitude to find the joy in spite of the mistake, in spite of the failure, and not to beat myself up or to beat others up. And now here's what I realize. I get through the failure a lot quicker because I understand how to put it in perspective. Oh, I really like this. You know, I can totally connect when it comes to failure or rejection. Back in the day in college, I had written a book about student leadership. And that's available to anybody who wants it for free, studentleadership.com. What I found enriching actually was sending out old fashioned style, the query letters to publishers, the one page like, Hey, I got a book. You want to know more? And just time after time, day after day, receiving rejection letters from publishers actually was a very rewarding experience because mm-hmm. it's like each day I would go to the mailbox, maybe one, two, three, or four mm-hmm. letters that said no. <laughs> mm-hmm. And doing it again and again and again, uh, there's over a hundred of them. I saved them. Mm-hmm. It just makes that point all the more clear and unmissable that it's not really a big deal at all if someone says no. Totally. Absolutely. No is a gift. Rejection is a gift. Because it just invites you to say, maybe they're not the door. In fact, I got 13 rejection letters from one of my first books that I put out. You know, 13 rejection letters from publishers. No, 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 no. So I I became acquainted with no really well. And here's what I discovered. No doesn't mean no forever. It just means no, not now. And how bad do you want it? Are you going to go at a different angle to get it done? And that's what I did. I like that so much. And I want to talk about finding the joy. You talked about the quality of your thinking is the quality of your questions. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that when you're in the midst of trying to find the joy, you might have some powerful questions to share. If my hunch is correct, let us know, Simon, because often... The questions are poor, like, why did this happen to me? Why am I so bad? You know, why is everything going wrong? So tell me, what are the questions you use to find the joy? So there's four questions, and, and, and I'm going to add a fifth one here in the moment. But let me give you the four questions that I always come back to. Question number one, where have I been? 
the where have I been question is how did I get to this point? Question number two, why am I here? So why am I here at this particular state in time? I had to um, sue a client not too long ago, and it's a pretty ugly experience. So when working with my attorney, board of advisor, how did, how, how did, we, how did we get here and why are we here right now, right? Then the third question, most important question, what can I do? Because there's a gravitational pull to be negative and, and to stay in that negative zone and just to wallow in that. But the what can I do question is the control alt delete question that deletes from your hard drive and from, and from your mind drive what you can't do by saying, so what can I do, right? And then the fourth question is, so where am I going? All right, those are the four questions that whenever you experience failure, a setback, disappointment, Go through those four questions because uh, questions immerse you on a quest, question, to discover an answer that was waiting to emerge. Then the fifth question is more from an emotional, uh, emotional intelligence standpoint is what's right about me? Because sometimes we beat ourselves up after failure and we say, you're so stupid, you're so dumb, you're such a big idiot. Why? Why would you commit verbal judo on yourself, right? So the what's right about you question is to snap your back, back into place and say, here's what's right about me. I'm still a good person. And though I had, you know, just an opportunity, not even a problem, an opportunity to learn, how do I now take this and grow from it? Mm, Excellent. Oh, thank you, Simon. Well, so I just sort of went where the conversation took us and it's been a lot of fun, but I want to make sure I tick off one thing I had on my list. In your course, you talk about leveraging sponsors' influence. How do we do that well? Wow. So first of all, once you identify your sponsors and you see that they're influential, find a way to contribute by either sending a handwritten note an email, or have some type of reach out to them where you celebrate what they are doing. And now, I'm not saying kiss up or anything, but I am saying add value. So one of the things that I did is I ran into an executive on the elevator one day, and I had just read about something that they had accomplished. And I said to him, I said, listen, this is amazing, absolutely awesome. And he didn't know me from Adams, but I knew everything about him. And just in that 30 seconds on the elevator, I said, here are three quick things why this is so awesome. And then all of a sudden, I got a follow-up note from him saying, great talking to you on the elevator. Get some time on my calendar with my assistant. I'd like to get to know you better. And it was amazing. And then when I met with him face-to-face, he asked me, is there anything that he could do to help me? And I said, yes, I'm working on this, this, and this. And he says, oh, Uh, I can help you with that. Let me make a phone call. But what I recognize, it would have never happened if I didn't take that opportunity on the elevator to connect. Very good. Very good. So you're just genuinely, freely sharing what you think is cool to whomever is a driver behind that. And then it's in an authentic place. Totally. Nobody's going to give you permission to be brilliant. Nobody's going to give you permission and say, oh, yeah, go for it. You have got to take every opportunity as a moment in time to say, how do I move on this moment right here, right now? Because once it's gone, it's gone. Mm. 
little Simon tell me, is there anything else you really want to make sure to cover before we hear about some of your favorite things? Yes. Right now, everyone that's listening to us, uh, whether they are working inside an organization, in a business, or perhaps even an entrepreneur, know that we are now in the VUCA environment. And the VUCA environment stands, we're dealing with volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, and complexity. And what every person has to begin to recognize is how do I, number one, have a point of view? Number two, how do I stay and operate brilliantly by understanding what what you do really, really well and celebrate that? And then number three, how do we help the least, the last, and the lost who can do nothing for us? Because it's in that paying it forward and helping others coming from a place of abundance that allows us, I believe, to thrive in this environment. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So a friend of mine, Willie Jolly, used to say years ago, a setback is a setup for a comeback. One of my Uh favorite quotes. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Well, well, it just has some rhythm and rhyme to it such that you'll probably actually remember it when you have a setback. (laughs) Totally, totally. And how about a favorite book? One of my favorite books that I'm reading right now is a book called Play Bigger. It's written by four guys out of Silicon Valley, and they have done a deep dive, in-depth look at a lot of the companies that we read about and talk about who are unicorns. How did they dominate a category? What was the thinking or the mindset that allowed them to go where no person has gone before? Play Bigger, phenomenal read. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? One of my favorite tools is the Flipboard app that I use on my iPad and on my iPhone and allows me to basically see hundreds of magazines and newspapers in one setting and I can personalize it to what I want to reach. Then here's the beauty. I can also share it with all my friends and and followers say, oh, I just read this article. You got to read this. This is really cool. One of my favorite tools is the Flipboard app. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit? You know, probably my favorite habit, and this is going to sound so simple, but I believe it really shows your level of excellence. I get up every single day and except when I'm traveling, let me add that little disclaimer. (laughs) But when I'm at home, I make up my bed every time I get out of it. And it is that habit of getting, when I get up between 4 and 5 a.m., that before I do anything, I'll just make up the bed. And just in my mind, it kind of conditions me for order and, and, and really seeing things in a, in a wholesome way. And then I start my meditation and everything else. But just making my, de- my bed, that habit every single day. Oh, thank you. And is there a particular nugget or piece that you share that seems to really connect, resonate, getting folks nodding their heads and taking notes? So one of the things that I teach all over the world is this formula called 1515-7-30-90. And what I encourage everyone that's listening to us is starting tomorrow morning, get up 15 minutes early. Take the 15 minutes and chunk it down into three five-minute segments. The first five minutes to meditate or listen to something that just quiets your mind. Second five minutes, read or listen to something that inspires you. The third five minutes, stretch and get aligned with the day, okay? 
15 minutes a day creates seven days a week. Seven days a week creates 30 days. 30 days creates 90 days. So how did I get to this quarter? What have you done the last 30, 60, 90? How did you get there? What have you done the last seven days? How did you get there? 15 minutes a day to really experience brilliant living. That's where it starts. Oh, thank you. And Simon, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? SimonTBailey.com and they can use my name and follow me in, in all social media, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and certainly Instagram. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. So here's the thing I want you to think about. Three things. Number one, I want you to take out a sheet of paper, take out your smartphone, set the timer for 30 seconds. And on this sheet of paper, I want you to write down in 30 seconds what's right about you. I want to challenge everyone to do that. Number two, I want you to find somebody in your business, in your company, and ask them, what is it that I can do to help you be more successful? It is in extending yourself and coming from a place of abundance where you begin to pay it forward and someone will do it for you because of the whole law of reciprocity, what goes around comes around. Third thing is, next time you buy a book, and this is obviously a physical book or it can be an ebook. Buy two. Buy one for yourself, but give the other away to someone that you believe could use it. All right. Well, Simon, this has been such a treat. A lot of good vibes. I got a big smile on my face from this exchange. And I just wish you lots of luck and hopefully uh, stress free travel <laughs> and many <laughs> speaking engagements and great success in all you're doing. Pete, thank you so much for this opportunity to serve you. I really love Simon's great questions because the questions are just so powerful. You ask yourself a question and you can't help but go seek to answer it, to find out what it is, both for yourself internally when you're trying to pick yourself up, as well as with others, just getting them to share and, and forming a connection there. So I think Simon's questions are so golden. I would recommend checking out that transcript over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep203. And looking at even the precise wording of them and saying, can you see yourself saying that? Or if not, would you tweak it just a little bit in a way that is something that you could see yourself saying? And then be kind of bold, you know, go forth and ask those questions. And I think you'll see some really cool results there. So again, if you want to check out that transcript or the show notes, et cetera, that's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep203. And I hope you will join us for our next episode. If you heard some of that positivity from Simon, you're thinking, well, it's easy for you to say, Simon, you don't know the folks I've got to work with. Our next guest has the answer for that. It's Bob Sutton over at Stanford. He has a wealth of expertise when it comes to working with a-holes or jerk faces, if you will. I'm trying not to say the actual naughty word because I learned that apparently if you have any explicit episodes, you will not get distributed to countries like India and others. Oops. So. He has a book about poopy heads <laughs> or folks who treat you unkindly, how to deal with them. And it's his a survival guide for these folks. So I think you'll enjoy that conversation. I sure did. I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.